Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we are going to begin looking at the gold rush. I'm very excited to start this section of the podcast as we move into the American period, which is much more my domain as a U.S. history teacher and as someone interested in U.S. history. We're still going to dip back into uh, different themes, including themes around colonial Mexico, uh, because those themes will continue to blend and sink and intersect with a lot of the things that we talk about throughout this podcast. There is no one national history that really explains California. Even to this day, you can't understand California without understanding uh, Mexico. So let's begin today's subject, which is the gold rush. <laughs> The gold rush is one of those seminal events in the founding of California that sets the stage for much of what is to come after it. It's also one of those events that comes with a lot of baggage, both from popular culture as well as our education system. Uh, some of that is littered with accurate information, but oftentimes inaccurate generalizations about what it was like are interspersed through somewhat factual understanding of this time period. We're not going to unpack each of those misunderstandings today, but we are going to begin by giving a big picture overview of the period. And I'm going to set some thematic scope here uh, for you to start to think about the gold rush and maybe context you didn't think about before. Now, one interesting thing to note here at the beginning is that the California gold rush was not the first gold rush in the United States. In 1803, a business partnership of four men in the Carolinas discovered a 28-pound nugget of gold. Unlike the discovery of gold in California, most of the land in the area near where the gold had been found was private land, so there wasn't quite a mad rush like there had been to California in the late 1840s. After the discovery of this giant nugget of gold in the Carolinas, farmers, after they were done with their harvest, would do simple surface-level mining along rivers and streams, shaking minerals across things like rock boxes back and forth, revealing minerals and hoping to find gold. Most of the mineral deposits in this initial gold rush were wiped out in the 20 years following that first discovery. After that period, Gold mining looked more industrial and involved mining in shafts. The next major gold rush uh, took place in Georgia not long after the gold had dried up in North Carolina. In fact, there is a strip of land in Georgia that acquired the name the Georgia Gold Belt because of this gold rush. The gold found along this belt was some of the highest quality of gold that had been harvested in North America. There are many apocryphal versions of the original discovery that we don't need to hash through here, but suffice it to say, someone found gold. One of the more interesting parts of this second major gold rush was its connection to the Trail of Tears. Uh, the short version of the long story is that the event known as the Trail of Tears can be tied to the second major gold rush as gold was found on Cherokee land. That's not to say that gold was the only factor in the expulsion of Native Americans, there had been an underlining tension in Georgia around expansion for a long time, but gold was certainly a good impetus to remove people 
from their land. Now remember, we've talked about in previous episodes that the Indian Removal Act uh, had been passed in 1830, and this gold rush came right before that. There's a strong correlation between the removal of native people and the discovery of precious metals, not just in the U.S., but in many parts of the world. Many of the early miners in this Georgian gold rush ignored the land rights of native people and began set up shop trying to strike it rich. Like the California gold rush, the Georgia rush also began with more surface level mining before moving to deeper shaft mining after the surface material had dried up. The Mint in Philadelphia, which purchases gold from miners, received north of $1 million in gold during the heyday of the Georgian gold rush. Ultimately, the Cherokee people would be expelled during this period, but would gain a lot of skills that would be later used in the California gold rush. In fact, there's a famous ghost town in California called Cherokee that was initially settled from Cherokees from Oklahoma, uh, where they had moved at the end of the Trail of Tears and who had heard about the gold in California. I bring these early gold rushes up in the United States because it's important to understand that they're not just isolated events in history. There are historical precedents for what happened in California in the late 1840s, and these previous events have a relationship with what happened in California. I want specifically to connect this idea of land rights and expulsion to the discussion that we will be having in future episodes, as well as in previous episodes, like the episode with Professor Brendan Lindsay, where we discussed uh, the Native American genocide that happened uh, following the gold rush. Now that we've talked about a series of events, let's move to talking about a person. Uh, this person was a Swiss immigrant to Mexico, and his land would be the starting point for this massive migration. I'm, of course, talking about John Sutter. John Sutter was born Johann August Sutter. Um, he was born on February 23, 1803, in Kandern, Baden, Germany. Johann attended military school in Switzerland and had a family with five children opened up a shop that ultimately failed. Being a terrible husband and father that he was, uh, when his economic prospects seemed low, i.e. his shop had closed, he abandoned his family and moved to New York City, where he changed his name to the more mundane, uh, but more easily fit in, John Sutter. An enterprising person by his nature, he saw the most opportunity in the West and packed up his stuff and moved to the Santa Fe area, where he became a trader on the famous Santa Fe Trail. For those who don't know, next to the Oregon Trail, the Santa Fe Trail was one of the most important routes in the West in U.S. history until about 1880, in which it would be replaced by the Santa Fe Railroad Line. Unlike the Oregon Trail, though, the Santa Fe Trail was not a route for travelers going west, but rather a commercial route where trade took place between Native Americans, Mexicans, and American settlers and explorers. The trail also wandered along the line of Comancheria, which was the land dominated by the powerful Comanche Nation, which in terms of book recommendations, if you haven't read Comanche Empire by Pekka Hamalayan, I hope I said that right, I've tried a few times, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It gives you a totally different picture of what the West was like. Uh, Please give it a read. Now, back to Sutter. Always industrious, but constantly nearly bankrupt, Sutter was always on the move. He continued his exploration along the Pacific Northwest 
and then took a path to California. The path, though, was not exactly linear. First, he took a boat to Hawaii, um, because that boat was supposed to then come back to California. However, that route got cut off, and then he had to pretend to be a military officer to catch a ship to California, but that ship had to go to Alaska first. It's really hard to imagine that it would have taken longer to go overland than to take a ship from Vancouver to Hawaii to Alaska to California, finally. When Sutter finally made his way to California, he found himself in front of the governor of Alta California and used that well-trained tongue of his to con his way into giving himself a settlement. This settlement would be in the Central Valley, and this settlement would hardly be a certain success, given that many of the native people of the Central Valley were hostile to settlers, for understandable reasons. Sutter set out to the Central Valley with a group of seemingly intrepid settlers for Sacramento area, where the Sacramento and American rivers meet. His group of explorers immediately began to build a fort their colony within Mexico, we must remember, would be dubbed Nueva Helvetia, which means New Switzerland. Sutter, in his imagination, was creating a new homeland in the state of California and was already, in this early period of California's history, California dreaming. The Central Valley was a perfect place to set up a fort and set up a new home. Verdant, filled with rivers and great soil, where he settled in particular at the intersection of those two large rivers was a perfect place to build an agricultural empire. Now, as Sutter gained power and prestige at his settlement, uh, he would gain new titles, often being referred to as General Sutter, like many of the large landowners, his success propelled him into prominence in California, where he was often found jostling with interim military government for more power. When gold was discovered on Sutter's land by some of his workers, it actually ironically led to Sutter's downfall. While he initially tried to keep the discovery a secret, the news got out quickly and most of his workers deserted their posts to go and search for gold. Left without workers to run his agricultural empire, Sutter's fort was quickly overrun by prospectors. Like many of the rancho owners and agricultural landowners, Sutter found himself bankrupted by the get-rich enterprise that had taken over his state. Sutter ultimately gave up on his California dreams and moved back east, settling first in Pennsylvania before later going to Washington to petition grievances and payment for all the money he lost from the prospectors overrunning his property. Sutter would die alone in a hotel room waiting for compensation that would never come. Like so many of these types of men from this period, the story starts with a humble beginning followed by a rise in prestige and power and money and then a fall, in particular like our episode with Abel Stearns. Like many of the familiar names from the era of the gold rush, there are pervasive myths about what happened and who got rich, and then there are the actual stories of these people. Sutter's Fort is one of those centerpieces in our timeline and our minds that we've learned from school and popular culture. 
And while we tend to associate it as a beginning to California, it spelled the end for many other peoples, animals, and environments. And that ultimately is an important concept to understand as you think about history. Whenever someone says that something is a beginning, it usually means someone's end. And depending on where that emphasis is placed, more about the end or more about the beginning gives you a clue as to how they are viewing the change that's happening. Whether the movie or play ends with a wedding or a funeral will tell you a lot about what happened before. And it's important to remember as we start this journey through the gold rush, the gold rush also marks the end of a lot of things. It marks the end of many native peoples and their control of their land. It marks the ends of some of these major landowners having power in the state of California. It marks the end for certain of many pristine places in California's environment that were before this unmolested by outside forces and influences. It marks the end for many of the Californios and their control of the land of California as prospectors begin to invade. Ultimately, one could say that the gold rush was much a series of credits as it was a title sequence to a new movie. Right after gold was discovered, Sutter would want to keep it a secret. He didn't want people overrunning his land and destroying what he built. And he likely wanted to be able to methodically mine the gold for himself. Like many people, too, who were certain about the changes coming from the new American administration, he wanted more clarity and certainty about his claim to the land before the prospectors showed up. His demise ultimately was caused by a 29-year-old shopkeeper named Sam Brennan. We will have a lot more to say about the role Mormons played in early California history later, but Mormon Sam Brannan was central in spreading the information about the gold rush that led to the giant influx of immigration to California. Brannan owned a flour mill, a local newspaper, and a general store that would later sell mining equipment. He saw his opportunity to benefit from a huge influx of miners to this region. His newspaper began publishing vociferous declarations of what was to be found in California. These newspaper stories would propel a massive influx of people and immigrants to California to make it rich. The 49ers that would come to California would be a diverse crowd, and we will begin to break down who came and where they came from next time. <laughs>